This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Welcome to New Life, everybody. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to guide us for the rest of our time together. And I just want to say it's going to be a great morning together. They're going to want to grab a few things that will help us on this journey, because we believe whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, we all start together at the same spot. So one of the things you're going to want to grab is this card that says Start Here. Um, it is a place for you to have all access to our pastoral team so we can pray for you, partner with you, serve you. A little bit later, we're going to be talking about these community gatherings called life groups where we, we get together, we form friendships. And I say it's like it's a safe place to ask dangerous questions, questions that could impact and change everything in our lives, questions about God and questions about this world and questions about key relationships. And so we're going to talk about life groups a little bit later. If you decide to join a group, which I would hope that you will, this is where you would sign up for that group on the bottom of this card. So at any time, if I lose your interest, uh, you can grab your life groups brochure and look through the groups because later we'll be taking some time to do that. So grab your start here card, fill that out, grab your life groups brochure, and then go ahead and grab your teaching notes because you're going to want to see there's something we're going to look at. And if you don't actually see it for yourself, you might not believe it's there. So go ahead and grab that. And as we get ready, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Don't worry, I'm not going to call on you. And I promise you won't be the only one because I will have both hands in the air. How many of you have ever been dumped, broken up with by someone? Yeah, I'm actually doing fingers, not hands. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that when someone breaks up with you, they follow a very set progression. They start out like this. Kevin, we'll just say hypothetically, Kevin, it's not you, it's me. To which Kevin then responds, well, if it's not me, it's you, then fix you and let's stay together. And then they change tactics on you, don't they? Because you don't get it the first time. They're trying to ease you in to this let go, but you don't get it. And so they change tactics and they say, well, what I mean by it's not you, it's me is, I mean that me doesn't like you anymore. Oh, now I get it. Or have you ever tried explaining something to your children and you're going down one path and they're just not understanding it? You're trying to help them see something like, hey, put on a sweatshirt this morning. It's cold outside. We live in Petaluma. It's foggy and freezing. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. A tank top and shorts are perfect. And you're telling them it's 32 degrees. Don't do it. And they're just not getting it. So finally you say, put on a sweatshirt. Because I said so. You just change directions on them. Because if they don't get it one way, we have to help people get it a different way. We're going to dive into a story today from an author in the Older Testament of the Bible named Moses. And he tells a nation of people something in one direction. He tells them a story. He paints a picture. He thinks this is beautiful and brilliant. It's all about rest. And the people don't get it. And so partway through his story, he course corrects and says, well, if that's not compelling enough, let me give you a different reason for rest. Now, if you're just joining us right now, we're in this series called Let Us. And in this series, we've been exploring the reality that God made us, each of us, in God's image. God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God made us in God's image. And then God gives us directions from the very beginning of the world on how to engage in life. God talks a lot about work and what work looks like. And we spent three weeks talking about work. And then right after that, God talks about rest. Because work and rest are not enemies. 
work and rest actually live in a symbiotic relationship. And last week we looked at the fact that Moses tells us that God designed us to rest from the very origins of the world. Before there was pain, before there was destruction and war and burnout and job dissatisfaction, God actually set the world up for rest because God wired us to live in cycles of work and rest. We work during the day, we sleep at night. He designed this thing called Sabbath, which basically just means cease or desist, stop. He designed this thing on a weekly basis for us to stop and have a day of rest. And we were told last week that God blesses this day of rest. It's blessed rest. In a very unique way, God sets up this day of rest because God knows that there's more to be done next week. And we need to recharge with God and with other people in order to do what needs to be done next week. And so God blessed the Sabbath day. God set it apart and made it holy so that we could recharge for the work of creating that God designed for us to do. And so that we could celebrate God. And he tells us all about rest. And This guy, Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, actually wrote the first five books. They're actually letters. We call them the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And and Moses gives us two different manifestos about rest, two different reasons why we should do rest. One in the book of Exodus and the second in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's the really interesting thing. In the book of Exodus, he tells us we should rest for one reason. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's like he course corrects. And here's why. See, Moses is writing to a group of people who had come out of slavery after 400 years. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, generation after generation after generation of a people enslaved. And slaves were not allowed to rest. And he says to them, I want to tell you about God. I want to tell you about yourself. And then I want to set up a new way of living as free people. So he's talking to the people about work and life and love, and relationship, and community, and the world. And then he talks about rest. But he says it the first time, and the people hear it, but they don't really get it. And the people didn't trust God. We're told that these people, God had made a promised land for them. They came out of slavery, and they were headed to this promised land, but they did not trust God. And so God had them wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation died off. And the first time we see Moses' manifesto on rest. It's to this first generation. But they did not get it. So 40 years later, he retells the story in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a breakdown of two words, deutero, which means second, and pneumos, which means law. So we have the book of Exodus, which gives us God's law to his people, and the book of Deuteronomy, which is like a second telling of the law. But the second telling is to a whole new generation of people. They were kids the first time. They remember Moses. They were crawling around the church service as Moses was given this information. Now they're grown up and have kids of their own. And he says to the people, your parents didn't get it the first time. So I'm going to course correct and tell you the story a little bit differently. And I want to read both of the tellings of the law so that we can see the nuance. And it's in your notes. It's going to be up on the screen. The first one is in Exodus chapter 20. This is in the Big Ten. This is the Ten Commandments where God says this through Moses. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember, Sabbath just means cease and desist. Keep it holy because God set it apart. He blessed the day and made it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you or your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals. So if you were going to get your cats and dogs working, don't. Nor your, 
I know some of you. You work your animals. Nor any foreigner residing in your town. That's really interesting, isn't it? He says, listen, when immigrants come in, when foreigners come in, they're not cheap slave labor. Treat them with respect and dignity as people made in the image of God. Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them. But God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now here's a little Bible study information. Anytime you see in the Bible the word therefore, you should always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Because the therefore is always pointing back to something else. Because of this, whatever he just said, we're going to do this. So what's the therefore here? He's saying, because God created the world in cycles. Because God knows how we work. That we cannot work 14-day stretches and expect to have vision and passion and creativity and hope and joy and buoyancy. We will get burned out. Because God designed the world that way. And you and I are not an anomaly to the world. Because it's God's created order, we should rest. It's rooted in creation itself. It's a time to recreate. I love the word recreation. But at its core, recreation is about recreating something inside of us that gets lost and depleted, like an hourglass with sand just dripping out. It says Sabbath is a time to turn the hourglass over and refill and recreate and get ready for the work of creation. So that's the first reason why he says to Sabbath. Now, 40 years later, we've got a whole new generation. And he does a second telling of the same law. And it starts out almost identical. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where Moses says that God tells people, observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, neither you or your sons or your daughters, your male or female servants, nor your ox. See, some of you are thinking, I'm only going to work my cats and dogs. We said, no. Now you're like, I guess I'll work my ox. You can't work your ox either. Just want to be clear. Call me a legalistic jerk. No ox working on the Sabbath. Or your donkey or any other animal. Come on, that's just good. I love it. He's just very specific to a certain culture that doesn't really fit here. I haven't seen a lot of water buffalo running around. But if you had some, don't work them. Are you noticing that it's very similar? So you can't work your sons or your daughters, your male or female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any animal nor your foreigner residing in your towns. There it is again. So that your male and female servants may have rest just like you do. Remember that that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you, observe the Sabbath. All right, now if you're paying attention, what's the therefore, therefore this time? It's not about creation. Did you notice that? Why do we celebrate Sabbath now? He says, because you were slaves and now you're free. He's taking them all the way back to Egypt where they were in slavery for 400 years. And what do we know about slaves? Slaves do not get the luxury of rest. Slaves do not get to decide when they take a break. A slave's life is about work and toil and labor. And Pharaoh pushed his slaves 
to work, 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 produce, 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 create, create, create. He did not care if they were rejuvenated. He did not care if they had hope and creativity and joy. He wanted more bricks right now. And he did it so that he could live the good life. Now let's just pause here for a second. Because Pharaoh is alive and well today. We look at this story and we think, oh, ancient story, that's interesting. How great for them. Pharaoh's alive and well. Sometimes Pharaoh is external. Pharaoh is that person above you on the org chart who's telling you, oh, yeah, you're going to have to come in and work on Saturday. Sometimes Pharaoh is commercials that bombard us, that tell us you'll be happy if you look like this, you smell like this, your hair's like this, you own this car, you have this house, you have this stuff, you have this gadget. Pharaoh likes to whisper, if you just had a little more. And how do you get a little more? You got to work a little harder. Sometimes Pharaoh comes in the voice of well-meaning people. My kids were at some friend's house about a week and a half ago, and my daughter came home and she said, Dad, these people live in a mansion. Dad, I wish we could live in a big house like that. And Pharaoh started to whisper to me, if you just made a little more money, then you could afford a big house like that. See, I was going to be a principal because I spent a lot of time in the principal's office when I was a kid. And it just seemed like a sweet gig, right? I mean, you know, the last three letters of principal is P-A-L. And the principal wants to be your pal. And so I made friends with the principal. And when he didn't ask to see me, I just got myself in trouble so I could see the principal. I always wanted to see the principal. He was my pal. But I, I look at principals not because my twin brother became a principal. Because he spent a lot of time there too. And as a principal, I could be making 40 grand more than I am right now. I think to myself, when I hear these kinds of things, I wish we had a bigger house. I think, oh, if only I had chosen a different career. And yet God called me to this. Have you ever felt that moment? You know God called you to this, and yet you look at that. You think, if I just had that, did that, then I could afford the things that people want. And so we had this great conversation about money and job and vocation and calling. And we love our house. We talked about contentment. That was a great conversation. But I'm telling you, sometimes Pharaoh whispers into our ears, work a little more, work a little harder. A day of rest is a day of lost productivity. Sometimes Pharaoh is internal it's that voice that compares my everyday life to your highlight reel on Facebook. It says, well, why doesn't my life look like that? I'll tell you why. Because their life doesn't look like that either. They just put a lot of filters on it. That's why your life doesn't look like that. Because no one's life looks like that. They took eight shots to get that really casual picture. Pharaoh's that voice that subtly whispers on your day off. You're getting behind, you're getting behind, you're getting behind. Whether it's internal or external, Pharaoh screams at us. Work, 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 produce, produce, produce. You're only as good as your last evaluation, your last set of grades, your last A+, your last test score. 
You're only as good as your last goal, your last touchdown, your last first place in the race. And Moses says to the people, remember that you were slaves and God has given you freedom. And it's time to fight against Pharaoh and say no more. I will not live a life of striving. This is a timely message for our country. Did you know that from 1973 to 1990, that's only 17 years, the American work week went from 41 hours to 47 hours a week. That's a 37% increase in work, largely because we, we learned how to bring work home with us. 37% increase in our work week. And it's only gone up from there. We work more now than maybe any time in history. And we need to relearn as a culture how to power down, how to unplug, how to be present with a person in the moment as opposed to seeing what else is going on over there. We just need to change our story. Moses says, remember, you were slaves, but now you experience freedom. And Sabbath is about declaring that we will no longer be slaves to striving and work, but we will be people who are free. Crazy thing about Pharaoh is, if you lived in Egypt, it was pretty bad if you were a Jewish person. You were a slave. But it was pretty good if you were an Egyptian. You had slaves, and you lived a really, really good lifestyle. Now, we, look in a, we live in a culture where we would say, we don't feel like slaves. But maybe we're the other side. Maybe we live in a culture where we feel like Egyptians where we're getting good return for the work of our hands, where we're producing a lot and producing well, and we're accumulating a lot of stuff and a lot of wealth. But there's a danger in that too. Because listen, life is not made up of the accumulation of our stuff. And in this world where there's so much stuff to be had, it's very easy to think that my identity rests in my stuff or in my money. And here's how I know that it's a switch for us, that, that the idea of stuff and money becomes like a god to so many of us. Here's how I know, because I'm everybody's best friend when I'm preaching on rest. I'm everybody's best friend, super funny. We love Pastor Kevin, he's great. When I'm teaching on marriage, or when I'm teaching on family, or when I'm teaching on engaging with our community and loving people. You know when I'm not everybody's friend? When I talk about money, then it's like, I can't believe that. Kevin, geez, what a jerk. He's only after our money. What's wrong with Kevin? I was talking to some friends last night. And I said, hey, listen, I know when we bring up topics like money, you guys murmur, you talk to your life group leaders. That's totally fine. That's appropriate. But listen, your life group leaders talk to me because my sheep like to ba. That's what I said. <laughs> so I know what you're thinking. But do we ever... <laughs> But do we ever stop and ask, why do I have such a strong reaction when we talk about the thing that God talks about more than heaven and hell combined? When we start talking about money, why do I have such a strong reaction? Could it be that money forms a little God in our life? And anytime the true God of the Bible challenges this little God, this little God fights back. 
could it be that part of our freedom is saying we will no longer be slaves to the God of money, but we will find freedom in the God that Jesus Christ came to show us? But listen, that means that sometimes we're just going to slow down and say, I'm not going to be a slave any longer. As a nation, we're working more than we ever have. We have more stuff than ever before, and we are, as a country, less happy than we've ever been. Did you know that the second largest prescription drug sold in the U.S. today is antidepressant medication? So our work has gone up. Our productivity has gone up. Our amount of stuff has gone up. Our amount of wealth has gone up. And our amount of happiness has gone down. Could it be that it's time for us to say we are not slaves anymore? We are are free. See, Sabbath, this day of rest, reminds us that we are not the sum and total of our production and that we do not need consumerism to be satisfied because it will never satisfy. Consumerism is something that psychologists call the hedonistic treadmill. I love that phrase, hedonistic treadmill. Think hedonism and think treadmill and put them together. Here's what they mean by that. They mean that consumerism tells you if you can just get to here, you'll be happy. The problem is running there is like running on a treadmill because you never actually get there. It's like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We can go and go and go and we finally think we've grabbed it. It moves a little further away. And so our production and consumerism and wealth has gone up and our happiness has gone down because as a country, we've stopped looking over here to God and we've started looking over here to this little God called money and security and consumerism. And maybe it's time to say enough is enough. And I'm going to choose freedom. And I'm going to use my freedom to rest. Yeah, but some of us are thinking right now, because we know our Bible, but doesn't Jesus talk about Sabbath? Doesn't he kind of do away with it? And the answer is, not really. And kind of. Not really. But kind of. Let's look at what Jesus says about Sabbath. There's this great story in the book of Mark. We're going to switch to the New Testament of the Bible. Jesus lived and walked, and there's biographies, four biographies of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is from the biography called Mark. It says, one Sabbath day, Jesus was going through a grain field as his disciples walked along, and they began to pick some heads of grain. Now, the Pharisees, Pharisees were religious leaders. They were hyper-religious watchdogs. They were super spiritual. They were all about keeping every command of God. Some Pharisees were watching, and they said to Jesus, Look, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you never read that David, he's referring back to the most famous king in the Old Testament, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate consecrated bread. Now, if you have a Catholic background, this is where you go, <gasps> You don't eat the consecrated bread or drink the consecrated wine. Only the priest gets to do that. <gasps> he says it's only lawful for the priest to eat this. But David's companions went in and they did. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to the religious elite, the Sabbath was made for people. People were not made to obey Sabbath. So the Son of Man, Jesus is talking to himself, about himself, is the Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Now, to understand what's going on here and why it's nuanced and why we get confused, we have to understand something about the whole of the Bible. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there are something like 613 commands or laws. Now, by the time Jesus came on the scene, there were these religious elites, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and they had created kind of a companion book to the Bible, to God's laws, called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was like, hey, if you want to keep this command, you can do these five things to keep that command. It was kind of like an instruction manual, except by the time Jesus came on the scene, it became like a second Bible to the people. So there are 613 commands, but then the Mishnah has another 1,500 commands. So the, the command they're talking about here is Exodus 34, where God just says you can't harvest on the Sabbath because he's talking to a farming society. Don't go out and do a whole harvest of your fields on the Sabbath day. Rest, rest, rest. It's good for you. But the religious leaders said, well, harvesting is about taking grain and threshing the grain and getting the chaff off so you get the grain you can eat. So they said it's not lawful even to pick a head of grain, rub it through your hands like this, so you can eat the grain on the inside. That has nothing to do with harvesting your fields. It's about having a healthy snack. (laughs) Unless you're (laughs) gluten-free. And this is what Jesus' disciples are doing. They're just having a little snack, a little Nutri-Grain bar. And the religious elite are like, how dare they? Jesus says, you missed God's heart completely. People are not slaves to Egypt, and people are not slaves to Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift to my people, whom I love. And so are we commanded to Sabbath? My wife and I got into this last week, and she said, Kevin, you said that we aren't commanded to do the Sabbath. I don't know if I agree with you. I said, well, I don't know if you agree with me either, but I heard a pastor say one time that we weren't commanded. Talking about myself. You should listen to your pastor. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) Otherwise, I'd be in so much trouble. I just said, well, let's talk about it because I think it is a kind of, sort of, not really idea. We're not commanded to Sabbath to the extent that God's going to, like, you know, shoot lightning down if you don't. And yet we are given the Sabbath from Jesus in the New Testament as a beautiful gift to prepare us for the week to come and to celebrate God's goodness in the space where we are. So do we have to do it? Not really? Kind of, sort of? I said last week, it's kind of like breathing. No one commands you to breathe, but it's a good idea. (laughs) Next week, Maria and I are going to be on stage together. Yeah, I know, right? I'm very excited as well. So we're going to be on stage together talking about how we explore Sabbath. We've been doing it for about five years now. Just how we do it. It is a way. It is not the way. But we're going to talk about some of the questions that we've had as we've done Sabbath, some of the things God brings up. Because I'll tell you this, when you set aside a day to rest, it's going to bring up a whole lot of feelings inside. A whole lot of thoughts and assumptions. Because God doesn't just want us to do this thing as a ritual. He wants us to actually engage with him in the process. So we're going to paint a picture, not the picture. And maybe it'll give you some insight as you go ahead and practice Sabbath yourself. Before next week, I want to invite you to ask yourself some questions. And the questions are on your notes. The first question is this. What do I believe about rest? Because before we can actually start to practice Sabbath, we have to ask, what do we believe about it? Do I believe that rest is a gift? Do I believe that rest is a sign of weakness? Here's how you would know if you believe rest is a sign of weakness. 
How do you feel when you get sick and you have to take a day in bed? Most of us say, I feel bad about myself. I feel like I'm letting everyone down because I don't believe that rest is what my body needs. I believe rest is a sign of weakness in that moment. Do you believe that rest is unattainable in the real world? Are you having an internal argument with me in your head saying, yeah, but you don't know my life. You don't know my family. You don't know all the things we have to do. What do you believe about rest? Second question is this. Does the idea of a whole day of rest and celebration feel like a gift or a curse? And why? Just think through it. Why? You might say it feels like a gift because, oh, I need this space. You might say it feels like a curse because now I only have six days to do what I used to do in seven. Does it feel like a gift or a curse? Here's a question. What am I scared about when I consider the idea of Sabbath? What am I scared about? Maybe you're scared that you'll have to say no to things that you enjoy, to say yes to this. Maybe you're scared of what your friends will think, or your coworkers, what your boss will say to you. Maybe you're scared that you won't get ahead in work and in life if you take a day to rest. The last question is this. What might I have to change in the other six days in order to create space for a Sabbath on the seventh day? Because I'll tell you this. In order to do a whole day in our culture, in our society, the rest of the week looks a little differently. So Maria and I will talk about that and our experience in that and how that has changed over the course of the last number of years as she took a full-time job and we're trying to both work full-time and figure out how to actually still rest because there's a lot there. I'll close with this. Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift from a God who loves to give good gifts. Sabbath is about freedom from a God who desires to give us freedom. Freedom from hurts and hang-ups and habits. Freedom from unforgiveness and broken relationships. Freedom from places that still bond us and bind us and make us feel like slaves to our own desires. God is a God who brings freedom. And Sabbath is just one more picture of freedom. And I want to ask you, because maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you the God of the Bible is a God who brings freedom in all areas of our life. But one of the key areas and one of the the first areas that God would want to bring freedom to you is the area of freedom from alienation from God. That the Bible tells us that we were at one point all enemies of God. That God was here and we were here and we were enemies by our own choosing. We just made choices that pulled us away from God. But God in his rich mercy came to us He didn't say, get your act together and come to me. God came to us in Jesus Christ. And he created the space for us to come back into right relationship with our Heavenly Father. When Jesus gave his life for us, he paid for our forgiveness so that we did not have to be enemies from God, but we could become friends of God and sons and daughters of God. And in the context of a parent-child relationship, God, your heavenly Father, wants to lead you to freedom. The first step is simply responding to the gift that God has given you. When he says, come back to me, because he's already made the way. And I'm going to pray right now, and I just want to give you some space to do that. If you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, if you would still find yourself here, God is over there and I'm over here. God has done everything to create the space for you to come back. Today is the day that you can come back. Yesterday would have been the best day to do it. But yesterday's gone. 
So today is the best day. If you don't do it today, guess what? Tomorrow will be the best day to do it. The moment you're in is your moment for God. And God is just calling you right now. So would you join me as we pray? Thank you, Jesus, that you are a God who loves to give good gifts to your children. Thank you that in a a culture that subtly whispers and outright screams that we are slaves, that you paint a different picture for us. You paint a picture of freedom, that we are sons and daughters of the Lord of lords and the King of kings, of the God of the universe, and that in you we can find freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that part of this freedom means going against the culture and taking space to simply rest. As we process through our questions this week, would you help us to be honest with ourselves as we engage with you? Try to find some clarity so that next week as we come into this conversation, we know where we're starting the questions and the conversations. And friend, if you're here today and you're not yet walking in relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you, make the decision today. If you're ready to do that, you can simply tell God right now. You can declare what God is doing in your life, the decision you want to make to walk with him and to follow him. You can do it by repeating the simple prayer. There's no magic spell or magic words. Simply a prayer saying to God the thing that's happening right now. You could repeat these words after me. Just whisper them where you're sitting and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you created me to walk in relationship with you. And I want to walk with you. So God, I'm asking you, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin that has kept me at odds with you? And would you begin the process of healing the pain that I have caused others and the pain that I have experienced myself? Would you begin the process of creating freedom in my life? And would you show me how to walk with you in this life? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.